It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Cole Born Bergstrom. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast here on a Monday. Uh, apologies to our listeners for not being able to get out our episodes last week. We planned on having two. Uh, just checking right now if those ended up getting put up. No, as of now, they're not. Uh, just a, we, we did kind of a hodgepodge of what we would normally do throughout the week. Uh, one big, like two hour episode that was planned to go out on Wednesday. Uh, and then we had like a five minute uh, call in with Carter Hill previewing that big Commonwealth clash game sponsored by Smithfield. Um, so yeah, hope you guys had a happy Thanksgiving, obviously big football game on Saturday. And as you guys know, you know, all college football today. So lots to talk about as I mean, hate week is over. We're getting into championship week. So much big news happening. Uh, Dan Stomach here with Colburn Bergstrom. How are you, Colburn? Um, doing all right. As we're entering into the final stages of college football, we're entering in the final stages of school. So, or at least for the semester. So a little bit stress, uh, stressful, but you know what? We're going to get through and excited to be able to talk about this stuff today. That's right. So with championship uh, week coming up, after which will be bowl season, Virginia Tech is going bowling after a 29-24 win in Charlottesville, in Lane North. Man, what a game. Uh, I'm at a loss for words, and I honestly have no idea how I want to approach this game. Um, other than the fact that it's just another win in this quote-unquote rivalry uh, in the state. Um, and, and it's what you're going to be able to pitch to recruits in the state. It's mm-hmm. whoever this next head coach is going to be, and I know we want to shout out J.C. Price, you know, did a good job. He deserves, I believe, he has earned a spot on the next uh, head coaching staff as a defensive line coach. His recruiting prowess is there, and obviously he has the passion for the program. Uh, I'm not going to lose sleep if he is not retained. It's just up to whoever they end up hiring, but I know everyone would love to see him back. Um, but outside of that, it, Virginia Tech is the premier program in the state of Virginia. There's no question about it, and that's just another example on – Saturday of this was one of the best offenses in the country and the best offense in Virginia in, in Virginia's history of a pro as a, as a program. And you made them look pedestrian with a defense that frankly, and, and particularly on the passing side of things, a defense that on the back half of the season, hasn't really been playing well. Um, there was not a lot of optimism in this fan base about being able to get it done, but man, there is something about this program where it's just, it doesn't matter what year it is. You want to beat Virginia. And I admire it greatly because there were plenty of rivalry games this week. Uh, two very big examples of the team that had been dominating the rivalry falling and you did not let that happen this year. Um, so it was just awesome. And now you get to go bowling, you get to play another game. Uh, I don't know. I, I, w- I want to get your takeaways from it. Watching the game uh, at home, I had to go on the laptop because uh, my family has Xfinity and I'm not, gonna, I'm not about to change my Hulu location. So had to get ACC Network the hard way because my God, Com- Comcast, what are you still doing? But other than that, I, I mean, that's what I have. The running game was awesome. That that was what 
this team wants to do. It, it's we talk about how this team this whole season did not want to have an identity. That's what they wanted their identity to be: play good enough defense and run the heck out of the football. And they don't want to throw the football at all. That's what this offense wanted to be this year. And was it its best game on Saturday? I wouldn't say so, but the big plays came on the ground. And I, I think that that's what this team wanted to be this whole season. Um, for Friday, and may, maybe we save it for the bowl game, we save it for our wrap-up uh, with Carter uh, at the end of the year. But um, this season is still not a good one. Like, it, it's one of the worst Virginia Tech seasons oh, in yeah, a long sure. time. But the fact that you're still able to beat Virginia is – it's obviously a good thing, keeping a trophy home. Um, that, that's, that's what I've got. And if the team was able to learn its identity sooner on, uh, and, and obviously you can talk to the talent gap between some teams when they played their games. I mean, Virginia Tech, when you look back on it, Virginia Tech did not have a, a tough schedule this year. And getting out of it six and six, that speaks to coaching and player development. And obviously this staff, a lot of it's going to be cleaned out but we still got the bowl game to go. And then you're looking for an announcement this week uh, regarding the future of the program, who's going to lead it. But I mean, outside of that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see season. The regular season is over. We wait for the bowl game. We have some fun. And then we go into next season with a, hopefully a, just a rejuvenated energy from everyone uh, from, you know, new players that are brought in, whether they be new recruits or whoever the new head coach is you know, attacks the transfer portal and hopefully from the fan base, it, it, it's always good to end the year with a rivalry win, especially in a game that, I mean, frankly, I, I can say that they weren't supposed to win that game. Like they, that that was going in, like you're not supposed to win this game and you did. So, you know, obviously big credit to JC price. I would love to see him stay on staff. Uh, if not, don't lose sleep over it, but you know, happy for what he was able to do. And you know, we're probably going to uh, the military bowl against ECU finish out with a bowl game win as well. Uh, have some form of positive momentum that the new head coach who will hopefully be announced in the coming days uh, to pitch to, you know, recruits, to new staff members, uh, to the fan base and say, Hey, we're going to build off this and we're, we're going to get back to, you know, competing for ACC titles, uh, playing in big, big games and taking Virginia Tech back to where uh, they're supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, there's not much else to say beyond that. I do agree. Um, obviously, I'll just reiterate what you said. JC Price really should be on the staff um, with a new coach. Uh, obviously, if they have someone else in mind, then there's not much you can do. But um, he he kind of like how some of the players do on this team, he bleeds maroon and orange. Um, he has such a high passion for this program that we haven't seen in a while, at least from upper leadership. So to be able to have someone who understands the culture of the program and um, how big, particularly these last two games were, and give us at least a shot in both those games, one of them being one of them being lost, you know, you, you could do much worse, basically, but um to put it to put in an optimistic light, he's he's been great for us, and he was a great uh, guy to fill in for these last two games. 
uh, particularly two big ones for us because if we would have missed both. Uh, we're actually, yeah, if we would have missed both, we would have missed out on a bowl game, which technically our streak broke last year, but this would have really been the break. Um, I mean, beyond that, uh, I definitely want to touch up on some of the people who we know are leaving, and particularly uh, Trey Turner, who made it completely official. It's something we talked about on a pod like a couple weeks ago. Like we didn't know if it was yes or no, but it's full on. Yeah. And he's going straight to the NFL. Um, really talented player and hope that he's going to be able to get the look from NFL scouts that he deserves because um, he can certainly do a lot for teams up uh, at the pro level. And all in all, I mean, yeah, I agree with you, though we didn't seem to show it when it mattered. This is a team that likes to run more than pass. I feel like that's uh, definitely been a big thing about this team for the past few years. Um, and being able to see, particularly through this past, like, four games, even when, uh, you know, Fu in charge, when you had Malachi Thomas uh, really starting to pop off, Um being able to see that we are able to have those players, we are able to have those breakout um, runs and whatnot and have incredible performances from Blackshear uh, and Thomas and et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's really nice to see. Um, Braxton, I mean, the, the, the sad thing is, is what we saw in this game from him, it was really good, but it was why I was so optimistic at the beginning of the season. Cause I, I feel that Braxton's a decent quarterback. Um, I, I was higher on him than you at the start of it. Um, but obviously a lot of injuries and whatnot kind of hurt his chances this year. I think to me, when you're looking at the end, obviously this isn't the end of the season. We have a bowl game. Um, try as hard as you can to win on that and go out, being able to say you beat your rival and you won a bowl game. I think the bigger picture of this game is less about Virginia tech, because if anything, this is just going to make it a little bit more enticing this off season for whatever coach or whatever players want to come here, seeing that even at our worst, we can still be UVA at their best. That's the story. The story of this game is nothing about Virginia Tech, which is surprising to hear from people that, I mean, though overall we're objective with it, we, we are Virginia Tech students. So there's a little bit of something, uh, there's a little bit of room in our hearts for the Hokies. Um, this is a lot more to say about UVA and Bronco Mendenhall in this era. Um, well, I think this is third year coaching. I, I think I, I don't quite know for the uh, Mendenhall era how long it's like. I haven't fully looked it up, but the fact of the matter is, is that, as you said, this is um, the best offense I think that this UVA program has ever seen. I think that's reasonable to say. Um, and now, okay, so he's been coaching since 2015. Um, but now during the Bronco Mendenhall era, when you should have two wins against Virginia Tech, uh, he's been coaching here ever since uh, 2016, leaving actually BYU kind of you know, funny now seeing how BYU's run. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and he still only has one win against this program. Um, and I, I mean, I want to hear your take on this as well, but this is just a horrible look. For me. I mean, even I, I remember, because uh, we talked about the Twitter spaces sometimes because they're really good places to find information. There were like former UVA players uh, that were even in those spaces um, that were talking about the fact of their team would have torn it up with this, you know, play calling and whatnot. And we're just, they're dumbfounded that they lost this game. And there's still UVA fans that you'll see on that side of the Twitter that are still dumbfounded that they lost this game. So to me, that's 
the, the like the moral of the story. It's the fact of what what to take about a UVA program that though that this is the best offense as you said that they have had like probably ever in their like the best in their program's history, and they still go six and six. Yeah. Um, all right. Here, here's where it is, and this is something that I've talked about for a while now, uh, especially when Justin Fuente was still here, when I was mentioning how job security is going to be a real thing for him if Whit Babcock and Virginia Tech as a whole want to be serious about football. It's why LSU, two years after a national championship, sees their program in decline. It's why they you know, said, hey, Ed, you're gone. Uh, it's why Florida is done with Dan Mullen. It's why USC is... They're just being sharks right now and just poaching probably the best coach from the Big 12 in Lincoln Lincoln Riley. It's because they're being serious. And this is what I'm interested to see what Virginia does, particularly probably in the next two years, because Bronco had a a bad program on his hands. No no doubt. First year, I mean, going two and 10, that's clearly they're not good. And Virginia is not a good football program. But Bronco Mendenhall, what he has done there is – Good, but it's it's in that same vein of, you know, everyone loves Matt Campbell because, oh, Iowa State is the worst place on earth. You know, oh, it's terrible. You go there, it's basically a death sentence. Uh, you can't win football games there. That's basically what Virginia is. Uh, they love their basketball more, especially with what Tony Bennett has done. In terms of being serious, I'm wondering what administration fan base wants to see done in the next couple of years with Bronco. Yeah. If I'm Bronco Mendenhall, I'm keeping everyone on my offensive staff. I am just butchering everyone on my defensive staff. And oh, I am attacking no, the portal like a madman right now because yep. their defense is atrocious. Yeah, there's the reason they're six and six. It's right. Um, their defense is abhorrent. And whether that's not being able to evaluate talent, not being able to develop talent, not scheming their talent to get them in the right, you know, situations it's it's bad i was saying i I was talking with some friends and i said a reason i think that this game could get bad is that yes virginia's defense is bad i'm not sure if it's duke bad and i meant and i meant that because uh that that was virginia tech's uh best offensive game of the year and i was saying that because that 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 was the reason why i didn't think that virginia tech could win they can they're, they're not a good enough offense over the year to take advantage of a bad defense no matter how bad the defense has been, except it's Duke. Yep. Virginia's defense is, it, it's trash is what it is. Um, it's a really bad defense. So being serious means, hey, Bronco, you better get rid of these guys. You, be, you better get rid of your defensive coaches. You better bring in new guys. We'll, we'll up your assistant pool. We'll do something. That's what I would, well, I don't want them to do it because it's the right thing to do. But if they were to do it, it would make sense. And it would be the right it would be the right move. You need to make improvements on that side of the football. Um, so yeah, it's not like and, 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 and look, defenses, you there know? was a like, there was a stat, uh, an Affleck trivia question in that game, or just a tidbit of I think there were four coaches hired in 2016 in the ACC. It was a like four or six, and Brock Mendenhall and Justin Fuente came in in the same time frame. Justin Fuente yep. won more games at Virginia Tech in six years than Bronco Mendenhall did at Virginia in six years. And Justin Fuente yeah. didn't even play his last two games. But Justin Fuente got let go. Now, 
that just speaks to the fact that Virginia Tech cares more about football than Virginia. If Virginia wants to start caring about football, they need to start putting pressure on this guy. You have a really good offense. You have to make changes necessary to get better talent on defense, to get better coaching on defense. And, you know, if you don't, if we don't start seeing more success, if we keep losing to Virginia Tech, and, and these were bad Virginia Tech teams. These teams that have beat Virginia the last couple of years are not yeah. good. Um, this is one of the worst we've had in a while. Yeah, the, the last four years where UVA is one in three, there was one team in those Virginia Tech uh, years that had a winning record. Yeah. And it was 2019 when it was the game to go to the Coastal Championship. And Right, the, the Ryan Wills thing at the start of the year, <laughs> that really killed them starting 0-2 in ACC. Like, I, I digress. But that's the thing. Virginia, if, if they want to be serious and they want Brock Benhold yes. to stay, they really have to start putting pressure on him to, and to get him to start performing better. Because, yes, the offensive steps are a good sign, but you can't be – I think I, I think I saw they were like fourth in the nation in S&P Plus ranking for their offense. You can't be six and six with that. That, that is a 9-10 win team in a bad, bad, bad conference. In a in an abhorrent division, you can, they, I, that's, that, that's the thing. If UVA wants to start taking football more seriously, they got to start applying pressure to Bronco because you're going into year seven, and he's he's delivered you to a division a division championship, which is good. But outside of that, the last two seasons only being 500, just not good enough. And he's got to start. He has to make big changes uh, in the offseason to his staff and acquire players however he can. In the defensive, on the defensive side of the football, if they want to have some success next season, because again, next season, what does the ACC Coastal look like? Is it going to be better or worse? I can't imagine it getting worse, but I also can't imagine it getting better. That's my point. Yeah, I mean, Duke's going to be on a new head coach. Virginia Tech's going to be on a new head coach, um, and I mean, they're still going to be retaining good bit of players from the team. I think. I do agree. Offensive side of the ball is obviously right, but that's what I think where the biggest concern is that lies for Bronco Mendenhall. Dude, you're a former DB coach. You're, you are a defensive mind and you let your defense get to this. You, I mean, as I was saying, um, the, this isn't like UVA's had like, you know, always had this bad defense. They've had decent defenses. We, we had years where we had to deal with Bryce Hall, who now plays for the Jets, and you have Charles Snowden, and you have, um, God, the, the, a couple of, uh, Juan Thornhill, who's with KC. Like, you've had some really nice players come out of this defense. The fact that you let your defense get to this state as a defensive mind, I think is embarrassing. So, when you have a, a, an offense, as you said, that's one of the best in the nation, I mean, I think it's arguable to definitely say minimum top 15, and that's even with a lack of a run, like a proper running game. If you gave that defense, even one of the better uh, offense, one of the better defenses that you've had in the past like few years, this team's probably like 10 or 11 wins, possibly even undefeated, looking at a chance at being able to go into CFP. That's how good that offense was, genuinely. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm over-exaggerating here, but I think that offense was that good. Um, so... The fact, the fact that you're able to squander this chance with such a dreadful defense when you are a defensive mind, I think is highly concerning. And I think it's something that the UVA program and AD as a whole need to look at and they need to say, hey, you better buckle down this defense. And as you said, everybody in that staff should probably be fired. 
Now, obviously, UVA fans will know better, so maybe there are a couple of, like, really good staff guys there. But whoever you can fire on the defensive staff that's their fault, fire them. This, like, tomorrow, fire them. Because that's dreadful that you're able to do this to to your offense. Um, And, yeah, as you said, if UVA is serious about football, they just have to really look into that, and they really need to look into, like, this as a season not being an acceptable season. For past UVA, pre-Bronco Mendenhall, maybe it's an acceptable season. Now, it's not acceptable. And you have to make sure that that is stated. Yeah, stagnation. Like, yes, if this was if this was year two of Bronco, I guess it would be fine. You have the build year, you have this year, and you see yep. a massive step on the offensive side of the ball. Okay, we'll take the next three or so years to work on the defense. This is your six. You are more than one recruiting cycle through your tenure here. You got to start putting out results and stagnation means death. It's why I keep saying that eight wins doesn't mean anything to me. If you're winning eight games a year, you're not doing anything special. Virginia didn't do anything special. So what's the difference between the two years? That that's where that's, that, that's just my mindset. Uh, and I don't know. I, I don't know if they'll, uh, do something like that, or that they'll actually apply pressure to where Bronco Mendenhall is on the hot seat within two years. Especially if next year comes and you know they have Armstrong again and they have all their weapons on offense and they do it again, but they win eight games because the defense takes a slight bump up. Uh, maybe that's the positive direction they want, but in a bad division with that offense, probably your best competition next year might be Miami with Van Dyke starting the whole year. Um, if Manny Diaz is fired, that's still going to be questionable. Yeah, yeah. No, we'll, we'll see how it happens. The Coastal stinks. If Broncos retained, oh, yeah. which he will be, because I, I don't see them firing him. No, no, no shot. Like, you should theoretically be in contention, serious contention, to go back to Charlotte next year, because that's how bad this division is. And... If you can't win games because your defense is bad again and you can't beat Virginia Tech again and that keeps you out, then, you know, 2023 season, you're looking at your job on the line. Yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's all we need to talk about from that game. Um, yeah. Again, just, just crazy that they won. Uh, a lot of stuff happened. Um, obviously, we could go more in-depth on the game. Uh, seeing Trey Turner recover the onside kick was cool. Um Connor Blumick yeah. fumbling uh, as they were trying to put the game away made Gosh. me gave me a mini heart attack there. Uh, I had a heart attack all the way up until they decided to throw the ball five yards behind the line to an offensive lineman. Um, what was that about, by the way? Uh, I, I had friends tell me that, like, man, if we were in man covers, that would have worked. Did you see how he was moving? No shot. No. At most, if you were, like, rolling right and it was a throwback left and by the way again he had to be behind the line of scrimmage because he was he was he was lined up at left tackle that had to be a lateral so unless you were like rolling right and everyone on virginia tech committed right and then he ducked out to the left and caught the ball five yards behind the line at most you're like getting to the seven you're not getting in the end zone on that play ever yeah I mean, uh, I don't know. Like, like, I, I would have possibly been faster, which is crazy. Like, <laughs> I am not in my, you know, good form at all. So. Oh, man. I got something wrong with my ankle, but that, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. I, I um, mean, yeah, there's, there's not much more about that game. Sure. I think there's really only one more thing to talk about with Virginia Tech, though. Um, yeah. Which, 
like everyone's clamoring about it now. Um, we've had seen other teams do it. I think the really the question of the week is will Virginia Tech uh, announce its head coach? Well, they absolutely have to. Um, I, I've just kind of been refreshing my phone, you know, checking Twitter, checking if people have sent me anything on over text or something. It absolutely has to be this week. Uh, Carter Hill was on with us. Uh, it, it was either for the Miami preview or he may have mentioned it uh, when we talked about when we talked to him before the UVA game. That episode not up, but just pulling up the uh, FBS recruiting calendar. There's a dead period uh, two, in two weeks. December 13th is when the dead period starts. Uh, that's, you know, winter, winter break, uh, final exams, all that stuff before we go back to school in the middle of January. So that's the recruiting dead period. So you want to have a head coach before then. You want to have a head coach this week so that they can at least have next week. Uh, well, no, the two weeks from now to start recruiting, to start building those relationships before the dead period happens. And then at the end of January, you can reopen uh, the contact period. All of February is a dead period. And then, you know, start back up in March. So this December, January window with that dead period in the middle, you want to have a head coach for that. So yes, there's definitely going to be an announcement made this week. At the very least, there should be. Um, I was listening to the Tech Sideline guys record uh, their podcast today uh, live on YouTube. And uh, well, well, first of all, let me just get this out of the way. I had, I had to start partaking in reading the message boards and it does not interest me at all. Um, message board, message board reading to me. It's a thing. I know that it's like every fan base does it and every fan base, you know, goes to the message board. Oh, this guy's name came up on the message boards. That doesn't do anything for me. Really? Uh, yeah. I need like solid reporters coming out with stuff saying that they've been told things coming out with lists like Mark Barber uh, of Roanoke times dispatch today. He came out with a comprehensive uh, list of names that he has heard in, in connection to the job. And that to me holds more weight than anything anyone says on a message board. So that, that's all I'm going to say. Um, outside of that, there probably are concerns that this hire did not get announced maybe even sooner, like maybe like right after the game. I mean, we're, we're only about 48 hours removed from kickoff, but I mean, I, I, this might be just a popular opinion that I'm just floating out there again. I really do think that Whit Babcock wanted uh, Billy Napier and then the Florida job yeah. came open and Florida just attacked him and they weren't able to compete with SEC money. Um, flight tracker. Flight, flight tracker season is in full effect. <laughs> um, I, I saw people mentioning that all the day and I'm like, oh no, you can't be serious. No, I know. Uh, so maybe that threw a wrench in the plans. Uh, Sonny Dykes yeah. moved to TCU. I don't think that was ever in play. Uh, I, I think he definitely wanted to stay in Texas. Um, but, but, but I mean, outside of that, you're looking at the other jobs that are still open. Uh, you know, USC was a bigger job than Virginia tech. It got filled by Lincoln Riley, which now opens up another bigger job than Virginia tech in Oklahoma that needs to be filled. LSU is still out there. Uh, both Washington schools are out there. Virginia tech is still bigger than both of those. Um, mm -hmm. so this, I mean, this is just kind of where we stand as the coaching carousel just keeps on moving on. Uh, some of the names that Mike Barber, as I mentioned in that tweet, uh, Marshall's uh, Charles Huff uh, as head coach. 
a new name that came out like in the past 24 hours. And I think this is only because of message board stuff. Uh, East Carolina, Mike Houston, former uh, James Madison coach. Uh, another one that he mentioned was North Carolina State's Dave Doran. I don't know about that. Uh, I feel like they would want to lock him down. That's probably just another agent play yeah. where they, they can negotiate a new contract. Other than that, we well, got a bunch of work, coordinators. Wake Forest coach last week. Yeah, Dave, Dave Clawson got the extension. And, that, and that's what it is. Uh, if you're not going to extend your coach, it tells me that you don't believe in them. And then therefore they should be let go. That's how the college football game is getting played now. Uh, and just real quick, Mike Barber also named some coordinators. Uh, Tony Elliott from Clemson is obviously a popular choice, but maybe lost some traction uh, from this previous season with Clemson. And then Joe Moorhead of Oregon was at Penn State, was at Mississippi State for a minute. And then, but, the, but then also it said that his name is being linked to the Akron job. So he might be going there. And then Notre Dame defensive coordinator, Marcus Freeman, obviously was with Cincinnati for a minute. And then uh, Penn State defensive coordinator, Brett Pry, who is kind of a recent name in the last 24 hours or so. So that's kind of what we're looking at. As of right now, this tells me that a guy like Jamie Chadwell is out of the picture because I, I really feel though, that the move was going to be announced, you know, yesterday or today. Uh, if only because you can make an announcement, and I agree with what Carter said. If it's not a guy that's coaching in a conference championship game, you announce that you hire him. If it's not, a, if it is a guy, you could still announce it like Florida did and let them coach the conference championship game, but you still make the announcement. I think the Billy Napier thing really messed them up. I really don't know because all these names are getting thrown out. Matt Campbell is getting thrown out, which that one doesn't make as much sense to me. Just got an extension last year. We've talked about this on the show. Yeah, I that one doesn't make uh, as much sense to me. Um, if only because would it be? It, it's a step up, clearly. Virginia Tech from Iowa State. Would it be the big step that Matt Campbell would want to take? Because Matt Campbell, to me, has always been like, okay. If I'm going to take a step up, it's going to be a massive step up. It's going to be a clear top 10 program, or it's going to be the NFL. Virginia Tech is in that top 30 range, sure. But that, that's not like the big enough step that Matt Campbell would want to take. So that's where I am with it. Uh, Dan Mullen is another name. I don't know about that one. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm, I'm not really going to say my personal thing on the matter. I really just don't know the likelihood of it. Um, I really think the leader in the clubhouse is... I think there's a lot of strong momentum. And again, I, that's a weird phrase to throw around for me because like, what is momentum in this? I think it's Huff. I think Huff is what Whip Adcock is looking at right now. Uh, only the one year at Marshall, but you know, recruiting monster was named recruiter of the year last year. One year uh, at Marshall was on the brink of, you know, winning their division, going to the conference USA title. Uh, I think they lost their quarterback in their game this past week. So they weren't able to beat Western Kentucky, but I mean, that's a guy with some upside uh, recruiting footprint when he was at Penn State. I don't know. I really, I, the, the move is going to be announced this week. It basically has to on principle because you can't let this drag out, you know, too long because you need to give the next head coach time before that dead period. In terms of who it is, I think the leader in the clubhouse right now is Huff. Outside of that, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of see what happens. And, and we're going to keep following along for all we know. And man, what I love this is if it just got dropped in the middle of us recording. I would love that. That would be incredible if that happened. Um, 
I, I obviously there's probably even other names that either people have brought up or have somehow come from Twitter or whatnot. But yeah, I mean, I I kind of agree. I I think it has to be dropped this week. It's probably had to be dropped like I would say no later than before the tip off of the Maryland game, um, on Wednesday. Uh, I think that's in Maryland as well. But I digress. Um, that's really as much as we have on BT and UVA. So. How about to get into the week of college football? Um, I obviously had my questions chalked up and everything for this. I had it chalked up on Saturday, a little bit of behind-the-scenes stuff. However, obviously what's happened this weekend is a little bit more of, of like probably way bigger news than anything that's happened this weekend. And it's Lincoln Riley announcing that he's going to leave Oklahoma and go to USC. And I, I think we need to look at both perspectives of this. Now, to give you guys a little bit of detail um, who haven't been in, in the know, the, as I said, Lincoln Riley is officially going to be USC's next head coach, and uh, he has left Oklahoma. And if your Twitter feed or any social media feed has not been spammed with four-star or five-star recruit from the upcoming class and from the current like OU roster decommitting or transferring or any of that stuff, then I, your, your Twitter feed is a lot cleaner than mine. Um, that has just been happening like – basically every 10 minutes it feels like that yet another recruit decommits from Oklahoma. So to be able to look at this from both perspectives, I want to look at what's the happier perspective here in a sense with the Trojans getting Lincoln Riley. uh, And then we'll go into the OU perspective, but first of all, with the Lincoln Riley perspective with USC, do you expect this to be that USC is finally back as a decent cultural program? I'm going to go with, Yes, but at the same time, USC was doing the same thing. They were they're addressing the thing I was talking about in terms of stagnation. Like I mm-hmm. looked, I, I've looked at the record under Clay Helton. It hasn't been atrocious in yep. all the years under Clay Helton. Second place in the division, first place in the division. Uh, that those first two years were ten wins and eleven win seasons, uh, and New Year's six bowl games and top 10 finishes, and then third in the division, second in the division, win the division last year. This year, you kind of cratered, and you let him go. But that's what it was. It was the stagnation, not complete dominance. USC, as a brand, is, without a doubt, top 10 in football. And they are in the position that a school like Virginia Tech is in, in terms of they are, well, they are inarguably the biggest brand in their division. Virginia Virginia Tech's like right up there with Miami, uh, a little bit lower. But USC expects that they should dominate that division every year. The Pac-12 South, along with the ACC Coastal and the Big Ten West, worst divisions in college football, no doubt. Mm-hmm. So USC wants to dominate that division year in, year out. USC this year is just a train wreck. Like, they have the ability, by the way, hilarious game on Saturday. Everyone's playing in their championships. Meanwhile, USC and Cal are just going for a nice little – who gets to five wins game? Oh my God, it's just going to be atrocious. I hope no one watches it. But if they lose that game, they're only going to have a four-win season. You have to go back to 1991 to the last time that they've had a season that bad. Um, so USC wants to get back to the mountaintop. They want to get back to you know Pete Carroll levels, You know, dominate the Pac-12, win national titles, be in the national conversation. At the start of the Clay Helton tenure, you know, people thought, hey, maybe they can get back to that. They, they weren't able to. This Lincoln Riley hire, his ability to recruit, his ability to, you know, 
produce offense, develop players. I know that the Spencer Rattler thing after last season into this year, it's looked bad. But you look at his past pedigree, I can look past all that. I can look at, uh, obviously, uh, Baker uh, into Kyler, uh, into a year of Jalen Hurts, getting those guys drafted. Lincoln Riley is one of the best coaches in college football. Poaching him from Oklahoma like that is just baller. And by the way, shout out Lincoln Riley. I'm not going to be the head coach of LSU was the truth. So good on him for not lying. Um, Outside of that, you know, for the Lincoln Riley angle, Oklahoma is going to be in a very tough spot going into the SEC in a couple of years. And, you know, we talked about it with Texas. Oklahoma is in a very similar boat. They both have the ability to become Missouri now. And without Lincoln Riley, they still have a couple of years left in the Big 12, if I'm not mistaken. But you, you got to find someone who can keep the momentum at a national brand power like Oklahoma, find someone that can keep that momentum, get them back into Big 12 contention and Big 12 dominance so that when you go into the SEC, you're better prepared. If they don't, they're going to have the ability to crater. Um, for the USC angle, I'm interested now because they can dominate the Pac-12 South with him now. They can go to the championship game regularly. And with that, I mean, they can dip more into recruiting. He can be a better recruiter. I think he needs to figure out what he wants to do defensively. I know he's bringing Alex Grinch with him. He's bringing a lot of his staff with him. But defensively, you know, Oklahoma, that's been a problem. Um, so, yeah, I'm, they'll have to figure that part of, part of it out. Offense, you know, hopefully travels for them. They can still recruit. This, this is a really good hire. This is out of this cycle. This is without a doubt going to be the biggest hire, especially with the fact that it's a coach just flipping, you know, powerhouses. Yeah. I mean, I'm very curious how much USC toss at him to be able to get him this job because it had to be a load of money, particularly with where their program's at right now. Um, Obviously on the USC side things, this is incredible. This is literally like better than you could have even imagined. Um, I mean, it wasn't even just like two months ago that we talked about like there was one article or something or someone said online that, oh, Fuente's interest in the USC job. And we're like, oh boy, um, okay. But, you know, now they go from those types of links to Lincoln Riley. As you said, the man who has developed like three Heisman, uh, three Heisman level quarterbacks um, in not only that, but like number one overall picks, Baker Mayfield. Uh, Jalen Hurts wasn't the number one overall pick, but Kyler Murray was the number one overall pick. Jalen Hurts is now the starting quarterback for the Eagles. And I, I think in his class, he should have been a first round. I was shocked when he fell out of the first round. Um, and even when he kept falling in the second, but like he has been really good at developing uh, quarterbacks and receivers, um, running backs. Eh. But I, I mean, I, as I've said on the, the show before, I like Candy Brooks a lot. Um, so I hope he gets a decent chance in the NFL whenever he goes up there. Um Obviously, Mark Andrews, the tight end, he has been incredible at developing offensive talent to go up to the NFL, and that's not even including offensive linemen there as well. As you said, the biggest concern about this is defense because OU's problem, like ever since Riley's been there, has been the defense, and it's really been the problem, like noticeably these past couple of years, 
when they're making college football playoffs and getting blown out by Alabama or, you know, whomever they're coming up against in the semifinals. Um, And obviously when you have that Texas game that like both sides scored, like, you know, some combined total of like 130 or something. And when you let Kansas lead most of the game against you and when Kansas state's offense, like with Skylar Thompson, just coming off an injury almost beats you and they should have beaten you. And the fact that you're losing to Oklahoma state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, their defenses look horrible. Tulane, there's there's another big one to talk about. Jeez. Um, they have a lot to figure out on the defensive end. But as you said, it's honestly not going to matter much when you come to the Pac-12. I think his recruiting is going to still instantly pick up because, you know, the location is even better um, than Oklahoma. Rather than just sticking yourself out in the Midwest, why not come out to sunny California? Um as, as I've said, a lot of the OU recruits have decommitted and whatnot. I'll talk about the OU angle in a sec, but um, they might be following him there, including what I actually expect to happen is one of the first announcements for decommitting was a like a five-star quarterback. I think the number two in his class decommitted, um, and he is from the California area. So I would say expect for him to go to USC because why wouldn't he want to stay home and go to the coach, go with the coach that he wanted to go with anyways? That would just be crazy to me if he didn't. Um, but yeah, I would be surprised if USC doesn't get good transfers this offseason and it gets a lot of those OU recruits that were from this 2023 class or 2022 and et cetera um, to come over to USC with him. And that's not only going to bolster the talent, but then the fact of the matter is that, as we said, he's a really good offensive coach, and he's probably just going to torch people in the Pac-12. This is perfect for Lincoln Riley because no matter what, he's just probably going to be able to blow out any team in the Pac-12 after just two or three years because that's, you know, if, if it's time at OU directly translates to USC, it's just not fair competition. Big 12 – though we can say how much we want to say about their defense, like their lack of defense, um, it's just better than the Pac-12, I think. And I, I would be surprised if people really disagree with that. Like, you've had some good Oregon teams over the years, but the only reason Oregon's really qualified for the CFP, at least in some cases, or have been high up there, is because Pac-12 is a Power 5 conference or considered a Power 5 conference. So now that Lincoln Riley's there, I think it's just going to be dominant. Um, to quickly mention the other end for OU, you're absolutely right. We talked about this with Texas, and we need to say it again with OU. There is a high possibility that this team becomes like what Missouri did uh, in, in, you know, like Nebraska and these other teams that transferred out of the Big 12. If they don't get, like, they need to get the perfect head coaching hire, which is such a hard task for OU here because. As I said, a lot of your future classes are leaving. A lot of your current players are leaving. And who's one of the best college football coaches in America In America said, yeah, I don't want to be with you anymore. I'd rather go to the Pac-12. And that's saying something. So I think there's a lot to be concerned about. You need that perfect hire. And I don't know if they get it. And that's the crazy thing that you could see as a giant of a program as Oklahoma possibly falling off because of this now i don't know if they will fully but this is very concerning i i i would honestly think that there's some sort of like assistant coach or whatnot from nfl is going to come down take this job 
like we talked about like the enemy and some of these other like uh, like assistant coaches that have been rumored for head coaching jobs in the NFL. Uh, this is basically as premier of a job technically as it gets a team that rarely misses college football playoffs, a team that's been the best in the big 12 for a while. Um, it's crazy. So yeah, I don't, I don't think they'll miss too hard on their coach, but they're going to experience a lot of pain in the recruiting just before they're going to get to the sec, which is horrible. So I think that there's going to be a bit for this Oklahoma team to rebuild. Um, this, this is just like probably the worst timing for losing, losing Lincoln Riley as you could have done. Like it genuinely would have been better. I think if you lost him as you were going to the sec, this is worse because now your recruiting is going to go down. And then if you do worse at the sec, your recruiting is going to get even worse. So this is wild. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's that much else to say there. I think you touched up on the OU end as well. So, I mean, to even look more into it, I actually had some other Big 12 questions, and I want to specifically say uh, talk about it here. Um, it just keeps getting worse for Oklahoma because this is the first time uh, after this weekend losing to uh, rivals Oklahoma State. This is the first time OU hasn't been in the Big 12 championship game since 2009. And basically what I wanted to ask was what this says of this year's Sooner team um, I, I think we've really touched up on it with Lincoln Riley here, but you know, is there anything else that says specifically about the Sooner team? Uh, well, obviously with Lincoln Riley leaving, I really think that a quarterback, um, that, that position is just so special that, and so important that if you don't get it right, it can reverberate throughout the locker room. The Spencer Rattler thing, the fact that it never went away, even though Caleb, Caleb Williams became the clear starter, uh, I really do think that that hurt the locker room and they weren't able to pull together as a team. Now, they were up in that game. Uh, they were up 33-24 going into the fourth. Mm-hmm. A team that is together, I think, pulls it out. The fact that they weren't, tells me that there's something in that locker room and Lincoln Riley was not able to handle it. Now, Spencer Rattler has officially entered the transfer portal. That's a whole other thing. But I think that's what it spoke to uh, this team this year. Uh, Oklahoma State on the other side, they're they're pretty good. They're in position to make the college football playoff. All you got to do is just beat Baylor again, which is probably tough to ask, you know, to beat two teams or a team twice in one year. It's very tough to ask a team to do, but they're in the position to do it. So they lost to a good team. Their two losses come in their two biggest games. I just think it talks to the locker room not being together. And I I think this team is also missing a a toughness element to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that, that that's what can encapsulate this Oklahoma season. Uh, and just a couple bullet points there. Yeah, uh, definitely locker room toughness, it seemed like, was a big thing for the Oklahoma team. I do agree. Um, and then I just think that overall, um, I mean, you can even relate this to other teams. It's just the fact of if one side of the ball is not working, the other side of the ball is not going to work as much as you want it to. Um, the defensive side of the ball was atrocious this year, and the offensive side of the ball really couldn't get anything done. So – 
I think that kind of helps speak volumes for that. Um, I've talked about that enough with Lincoln Riley, but yeah, obviously the offense in the locker room was in a bit of a disarray throughout the year. It really didn't change and it just made everything worse in this situation for Oklahoma. That was, you know, already not a great situation and they struggled to win just about most of their games. Um, and obviously there's not much to say about Oklahoma state. They're a great team. Good for them. Um, yeah. And we'll even talk about some of the championship games here, but for OU, it's, it was a bit crazy. Um, but then even talk about that to even wrap it up. We mentioned Texas and OU. So to wrap it up on the big 12 side of things, do you think that after a year of college football, after they announced at the beginning of it, that Oklahoma and Texas is going to come to the SEC, do you think the SEC is still happy with its big 12 acquisitions? Absolutely. On the football side of things, you know, maybe Oklahoma and Texas never break through in the SEC and maybe they do decline. In terms of money and revenue and what else they can bring you for athletics, the SEC is going to be just fine with it. It's all about money. Having Texas alone is worth it. Yes, sprinkle in Oklahoma. They're going to be fine. The SEC, they'll be fine. Money, the money talks. So the, the, I don't think the SEC is ever going to regret it. Um, those are still two historically you know, large programs, uh, national footprints, obviously all that. No, the SEC is not going to regret this. I don't think they're going to take away their invitation. They're still going to commit to it. it. It's just what it is. And this year was a bad year for Oklahoma. Texas is on a bad stretch. Um, but no, I don't think the SEC regrets it. I think the Big 12, seeing what their new additions are doing this year, I think the Big 12 is very excited uh sure the money not might not be there but in terms of competition in football they're not losing much yeah i mean there's two big 12 championship games this year so they're they're probably really excited about that is is that who who is that referencing more is that is that cincinnati Cincinnati, houston cincinnati uh yes you're right you're right it is cincinnati houston you're getting cincinnati houston uh you're getting byu and you're getting ucf correct those are the four uh yeah well there you go you got two big 12 championship games i forget you know what i did forget houston was making its way to the big 12 so that is my fault sorry that i kind of let i kind of i kind of let you left you flat there for like a solid two (laughs) we're replacing texas with texas yeah um no i i mean i i can't say anything but i agree with you there um i guess i think the sec wouldn't be happy in the long run if these programs start to fall off rapidly um when it heads into the sec because that means that would, would be less money long term but in the short term it still doesn't really matter these are still two historic college football pro- programs they speak for themselves the fan bases speak for themselves and as you said bringing these two programs into sec just brings in even more money so it's not going to really matter. And as you said, the Big 12, I mean, I, I didn't even think about that end as much just because we can talk about that to the moon. The Big 12 is just going to be happy with it. They, they, they aren't going to care. Basically, the last time when everyone left, like the Big 12 didn't improve, but the Big 12 was fine. Now it genuinely feels like though we've lost like two of the biggest teams in the conference that the four additions that we've currently gained are going to more than make up for. It. So... It's, it's, it's pretty exciting times for them. Uh, but that's really it with the Big 12. Uh, to move on, though, to move on to your side of the football uh, football world, Big 10, this is the first win that Michigan has had against o- Ohio State in eight 
years, in which big congratulations to the Harbaugh team. What does this do for Harbaugh's era, and is this team a legit threat when it comes to college football playoffs? Well, first of all, I am very bitter still. But uh, aside from my personal feelings side, but also, uh, just say eight years, because the, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, it is the first time that they beat Ohio State since Luke Fickle was the interim in 2011. Might have to check me there. Don't I don't want to like call you out. More. It was like three thousand something days, so it might be it might be more. But I I, th- I thought I saw him on it was the first time in eight years. It is. It's been a long time. Yeah. And yes, Ohio State can still tell that they have owned the rivalry of late, but that doesn't matter because only this year matters. Mm-hmm. What Michigan did after the Michigan State game in November was they didn't let it. They didn't let the Michigan State loss beat them which I think is something that has happened to teams of the past. Uh, they did not back down. They knew what they still had in front of them. I think a lot of their fan base had looked back on what previous teams had done following a Michigan State loss and said, okay, well, now our November is going to be bad. Jim Harbaugh has a bad record in November the last few years in his tenure. Take away this 4-0. What they had done after Michigan State losses is, you know, you lose the letdown game or two, you know, to a Penn State, uh, to an Iowa, to a Wisconsin. You lose to Ohio State. That's a given. You end up eight and four, nine and three, and you don't do anything. This year is different. This year, you obviously beat Ohio State, and it's not just beat. You, you annihilate them. In a game that, I mean, once again, no one, want, no one expected you to win. Uh, it was a game that you shouldn't have won going into it, but you did uh, because you were just way, way more physical. And you, you didn't stop Ohio State from doing what they wanted, but you made the plays when you needed to make them. Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo are the best edge rush tandem in the country by a country mile. They are... Both top 10 draft picks. Oregon has Kayvon Thibodeau. They don't have another Kayvon Thibodeau on the other side. Michigan has two of them, basically. And Aiden Hutchinson is go- entering into number one draft pick you know, range. He's taking that away from Thibodeau. And Ajabo's... I, look, this might be crazy, but I, I do think Ajabo is better, honestly. I know that sounds impossible, but I think he's better, um, even though Hutchinson has been more productive this year. I don't know. It's just ridiculous. And the fact that you were able to just murder their run defense with the behemoths you have on your offensive line and Hassan Haskins, who is just what Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum have for Michigan. It's the thunder and lightning. Blake Corum's the speedy guy. Hassan Haskins is just the bulldozer. And he was the bulldozer. He could not get tackled. He looked, he, he looked fast. It's not like Hassan Haskins is slow, but he's just the power guy of the two. And he had five rushing touchdowns, most in that game, I think, ever. Tied most, at least. So it was just a complete annihilation. And there was a mistake early where you could have gone up two touchdowns. Well, first of all, I don't know who got the, who won the coin toss, but whoever won the coin toss should have made sure that their team got the ball first because that's what Michigan did. They got the ball first. They set the tone. Their defense came out. They had the opportunity to go up two scores. They throw a pick. They don't let it beat them. And they just go throughout the rest of the game. And Look, when you go into the semifinals, I know that we like Cincinnati. I know that, you know, we could like o- Oklahoma State. Whoever they get matched up in, they're the top two team in the country right now. There's no question about that. 
even if they get matched up against Alabama, I think Michigan has a very solid chance. They have, they, they are probably a favorite with Georgia to make it to the national championship game right now. That's what they are right now. Uh, and it doesn't matter that their offense is run, run, run. Caden McNamara, game manager, doesn't have to really do much. Even though we've seen he can do a lot, you know, look at the Michigan State game. You pair up what they want to do with the fact that their defense can disrupt what you want to do. That's the that, that's a really good recipe. Um, so that's what it is. As it speaks for Jim Harbaugh's tenure, uh, I mean, obviously they still have a game to go against Iowa. You can't have a letdown game in that spot. You have to get to the college football playoff. You have to win this game uh, for a Big Ten title. But it is two giant what's the word here? I'm looking for the phrase. It's two giant loads off his back is what it is because what Jim Harbaugh has done this year is something that he hasn't done. He's won as an underdog twice. He's never won as an underdog in Michigan. He was an underdog against Wisconsin for some reason. It was one point, whatever. They still won that game and they were touchdown or more underdogs against Ohio state, whichever way you look at it. Yeah. They I think it was an eight and a half spread. What'd you say? Eight and a half. Yeah. I think it was eight and a half. Uh, eight and a half. Some people close it around seven. Either way, your touchdown or more. You go in, you blow their doors off, and that's not just winning as an underdog. That's beating Ohio State. That's be- that's killing the white whale. And now you're going to Indianapolis for the first time ever. I was going to come out and I was going to make a joke of, oh, what do Illinois, Rutgers, Maryland, uh, whoever, what what do they have in common with Michigan? Oh, they never been in Indianapolis. Well, I can't make that joke anymore. It makes me sad. But they have a real shot at well obviously they win they're in the playoff and they have a real shot getting to the national championship game Mm -hmm. and i still think georgia wins comfortably but they can punch georgia in the mouth and they won't back down even if they end up losing by two scores to a georgia team in the national championship you can't say they won't go down without a fight that's what this michigan team really is yeah i mean i i think what this does overall is it kind of I mean, some of this just kind of speaks to the Michigan recruits that we've seen go up in the NFL and do well. Like, you finally have, like, a strong enough defense just all around to be able to put together a performance like this because we've been talking about it, and we'll talk about, like, Heisman listen when we we come up there, but C.J. Stroud and Kenneth Walker were two of our favorites for the Heisman. Uh, I would be surprised if many other people found other – players that you could really say are higher but those two like Kenneth Walker they didn't really shut down but on the second end it's again as you said it's not like they shut down Stroud but they slowed him down and they did enough to where their offense was able to do the rest which is exactly what a defense needs to be able to do particularly against elite talent and that's saying something um Huge shout out to Aiden Hutchinson and uh, Ajabo. Like, they're just incredible players. Um, as you said, they're most likely going to be two top 10 picks. If not, they're both going to be two top half of the draft, of uh, two top half of the first round picks because um, they're just incredible. Hutchinson, I probably think, is even top five. He's been consistent with like the work that he's been able to do in college. Um, man, it's, it's such a good defense. And that, I mean, yeah, they're, they're going to be a threat because here's the thing. Is their offense elite? No, no, it's, it's not elite. Like, just look at look at the games that they've had this year. They've had so many games that have come close that it's like, really? You're close in that game? But the difference is, is it's not like an Iowa offense. 
when Iowa was a team that was one of the top teams in the nation and their defense was just absolutely like electric, their offense was able to back it up. And their offense then went from being okay to being like God awful. And there's nothing you could change about that. And then their defense couldn't pick up the offensive slack. This offense is able to do enough, which is the key of this year. Like, I don't feel like there's been that many great Michigan offenses. I could be wrong under Harbaugh, but I feel like this one comparatively to the rest is actually able to get the job done. It's not like they're elite. It's not like they're, you know, this, this perfect offense, but they're able to do enough. And that's really what matters when it comes to college football playoffs, particularly when you have as strong of a defense as you have this year. Um, the one thing that really concerns me, because I do think they're a legitimate threat not only for the playoffs, but honestly, even to win at this point. My concern is the fact of if they did match up with Georgia, you thought that Clemson, Georgia was low scoring at the beginning of the year. Oh, Lord. Like, these defenses are going to be at the offense's throats the whole game. Because these are two of the best defenses in the country, I think. So, yeah, they're a legit threat. Um, they just have to make sure that they can keep up with it with teams that are directly at their caliber. And they've already shown it with um, Ohio State. I mean, they did show it against Michigan State, but they did still lose. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with that, at the very least. I, I, they're, they're, they're a threat. And good for Harbaugh. Good that he's finally been able to get the job done with this team. I, I know as a Michigan State fan, you're going to be bitter about it. Um, as someone who's neutral, who does not have a dog in this fight, good for Harbaugh. Good for this Michigan team. Good for these Michigan players. And hopefully they don't choke in the Big Ten championship game. I don't think they will. It's Iowa, but I have I have mixed rea- I have a mixed reaction to that because mm. on the one hand, oh God, seeing them lose when they're so close would be glorious. But on the other hand, if they lose, they most likely get the spot in the Rose Bowl. Uh no, they uh, Iowa would get the spot in the Rose Bowl. That means Michigan would have to be an at-large team. Ohio State's not falling behind Michigan State. Michigan State would get kicked out of New Year's Six. So in some roundabout way, I guess I have to want them to win. <laughs> it feels bad, but just whatever. just find a way to reason it so where you're happy. Yeah, that, 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 that's what it is. Guestable would be yeah. fun. That would be so much fun. It's not really you kidding me. But yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's what that's what I have about that. Yeah. Um. And with that, I mean, there's really no other points there. I, I will say, before we move on, just a big, again, with Ohio State, shout-out to Stroud and Olave and uh, Garrett Wilson. Just what an incredible offense that they put together this year. What an incredible bounce back that they had after Oregon. And it is really disappointing to see them not in college football playoffs because they're one of the most fun offenses, I think, to watch in college football this year. Um. The only good news is that we're still going to have Stroud and Henderson for at least a year or two. So that, that is the thing. They are young. Uh, all three of their wide receivers are, you know, projected to go in the first round. So they are probably all gone. Olave Wilson and Smith and Jigma, but Ohio state is recruiting monster. They can just reload on receiver positions. I don't think that they need to be worried about that right there. Uh, yeah. But quarterback and running back are set for the next two seasons. And that's going to really help them in a big 10 East that look, what Mel Tucker is doing, he, I think, flipped a, he, he's flipped some recruits in the past couple of days. Obviously, he got that big extension. Uh, and I, I, he just pulled the guy out of the portal who was a former, I want to say, five-star running back that was at Wisconsin. Uh, 
so Mel Tucker, what Michigan State and their revival are doing. James Franklin just got re-upped, even though he's probably in a fourth place race right now. And, you know, the rejuvenated Michigan from this year that could do big things for this program. Ryan Day is going to need to spend all offseason in, I want to come back and absolutely destroy everyone mode. He needs to, this is what my thought process should be for Ryan Day this entire offseason. He needs to be the worst person possible. As in, he needs to not talk with his family, not talk with his friends. He needs to be in the war room 24-7 because, look, he can get to New Year's Six Bowl games. I'm going to give you a name. John Cooper, really good coach for Ohio State, rarely ever beat Michigan. If he goes into next year, loses to Michigan again, doesn't get back to Indy, doesn't win another Big Ten title, something that Urban never did. Urban never lost to Michigan. If you're two and two through four years against Michigan, going to year five, you're going to have some questions on your head. That might sound crazy, but that's just how Ohio State operates. So Ryan Day is going to be in like full-on just football guy mode. His marriage might be in ruins, but it'll be (laughs) worth it if they're beating Michigan. That's what Ohio State – that's what Ohio State wants from their football coach. Yes, they want their football coaches' marriage in ruins. Uh, You know, seeing that with Urban Meyer this year. Um, They would commit – blood sacrifices <laughs> if it meant that they could beat Michigan by at least one point. That's what, that's what Ohio state fans would do. Cause I, I guarantee you doesn't matter what happens ever. They can lose. Oh, to Georgia. They can lose, oh, they can lose to Georgia by 50 in the national championship game. Michigan will still have beaten them last year. And they're going to have to live with that for 365 days. And they don't know how to handle it because they haven't had to do it in a long time. In a while. Yeah. Nine. I know fans that do crazy things. Good Lord. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's not much else to say there for the Big Ten. It's really crazy, as you said. No one expected it. Uh, whoever bet out of uh, Michigan, good for you. Um, to move on though to the, uh, I do a quick story real quick there. My uh, one one of my friends. So I'm home for Thanksgiving, and uh, we have our risk nights, right, where we just go over and play risk. And oh, my cool. friend's dad, we're at his house, and he's down there, and they're you know Michigan scumbag fans, and you know they're saying, hey. Let's think about it like this. If Ohio State blows us out, let's at least have some fun with it and win some money. So they put, he put $300 on Ohio State covering the line. But I'm sure he is 100% okay with the fact that they won that game the way that they did. I'm sure he is fine flushing $300 down the toilet. You know what? Matter of fact, once we're done recording, I'm going to text him up and ask him that. I'm going to ask him, hey, are you okay? Is your wife okay? Because he didn't tell his wife about it. Are you okay wasting $300? I'm sure he's going to say yes. That's my story. Dude, if, it, if, if it costs me $300 to have Kansas uh, football get to like a 500 season, I'd pay that fee. Oh, my. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't blame you. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to move to the sun side of college football here, um, Alabama, yet another nail-biting finish, um, this time being a four-overtime game against Auburn that they pulled off by two points. Um, is Alabama as good of a team as we think it is? Uh, no. And here's, I think, the one sentence that's going to wrap up my thoughts on Alabama. Nick Saban is going to have the guys ready to play Georgia on Saturday. Problem is, the guys just aren't good enough to beat Georgia. I think that's where this team is right now. Alabama on a talent level is, I'm, I'm obviously, dude, they're Alabama. They're top 10 in the country. 
Yeah, I mean, they're top five probably, but they're just not good enough to win the, to win the big games. They're just not. Uh, nail biter in Jordan Hare. I mean, I I thought that game would be somewhat close. I probably should have taken Auburn against the spread, but I mean, three points through like a majority of the fourth quarter, all three quarters, plus like 80% of the third. No, it's not good enough. And look, man, Georgia is something else. Uh, I I don't know how we're going to see Alabama's defense play, but I don't think it'll matter. Georgia, Georgia can put up two touchdowns and then they can just like let their defense smother Bryce Young. And I, I think that's that's all they're going to need to do. I think it'll be high, more high scoring than that. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but I don't know, man. I, I just think that this Alabama team, I think it's just an issue of they're just not good enough. Saban can coach them up as much as he wants. They're just not there. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. I think this team is just not one of the Alabama teams of the past. Uh, and some of that's even going to reflect with another thing that we're going to talk about today. Um, but I mean, just look at the games that they've had this year and particularly down the stretch, the Auburn game, almost losing that and possibly even should have the Arkansas game. They only won by seven at home. Um, LSU, they only won by six at home An LSU team that was dreadful and told Ozron middle of the season, Hey, you're going to go. Um, Tennessee and Mississippi State's like probably their two best wins in the SEC, but then they lose to Texas A&M. Uh, Ole Miss was a good win, but then they also barely beat Florida, in which Florida has now fired Dan Mullen. Like, this is a horrible look for Alabama. That's – I'm just doing quick maths here. That's five games that were really close that – and, like, prior Alabama teams wouldn't allow to happen. Um, so I just think that this team isn't on the level it is. And honestly, with when they lose, we talked about last week, the concern of it's still Alabama money and the fact that they make it in. In all honesty, I hope the committee actually looks at this and be like, okay, wait a minute. What, what's this team doing here? And realizes that even if they try to consider a two loss Alabama, that they're like, they're bad. Like that's, I, I really hope that happens. I hope that there is no chance that this Alabama team, even if they keep it close with Georgia, makes the CFP because they don't deserve to. They genuinely do not deserve to with what they've done against some of the weaker teams in the SEC. It's honestly kind of embarrassing. Like this is bad for Alabama standards. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm not in on the team at all. Um, and I honestly, this might sound crazy. I'd possibly rather have Notre Dame in, which feels really weird to say. I don't like saying that. In Here's fact, the one I thing I will say about Notre Dame. So I don't know if you have any Notre Dame questions, but this is the thought that I had. Because when I'm thinking about what whatever happens after this weekend, they're going to announce the New Year's Six. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go a quick rant here. Uh, when you're talking about Okay, what are we looking at? All right, well, we're looking at our top four teams. Let's just say Georgia wins, Oklahoma State wins this weekend, uh, Michigan wins this weekend, Cincinnati wins this weekend. Are right, you looking at a college football playoff of Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, OK State. All right, those are, those are two of your six bowl games there. Your Rose Bowl, you're looking at a Big Ten Pac, uh, Pac-12 game there, tie-ins there. 
So you're looking at second best team out of the Big Ten, likely Ohio State, uh, and then you're looking at whoever wins the Pac-12 championship. If Utah wins, Oregon gets knocked out. They're not going to be an at-large, so it'll just be Utah. Sugar Bowl, you're looking at a Big 12 versus SEC. You're looking at the second best team in the SEC is going to be Bama. Baylor is probably there. I've seen some people say Oklahoma should be in over Baylor. Uh, no. I don't think so. I don't care that Baylor has Baylor one loss. It's because they played in the championship game. That's why. And then you have the ACC championship gets an auto buy. So here's what you're looking at. You need Out of these five teams, you need to pick three for the last two bowl games. You're looking at Notre Dame, Old Miss, MSU, and then you're looking at Oklahoma and BYU. I don't know how the final rankings are going to fall, but personally, BYU, I look at their schedule. I like BYU's schedule more than uh, Notre Dame's. Yeah. Uh, that, that's just a quick rant. Like Notre Dame's schedule should have been better, but the two best, if you combine their schedules, the two best teams on in that grouping were Baylor and Utah, and BYU played both of them and actually beat Utah. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I, that, that's just a quick rant for me. But other than that, uh, no, I, I would personally put Notre Dame over Bama as well. If it came down to, okay, we need a fourth team. Uh, who are you putting in? I'm putting Notre Dame in over Alabama. Um, now, he, now, here's the fun thing. I don't know if you want to talk about this. I don't know if you want to ask about this. You want to hear my doomsday scenario for the college football playoff? I'm down to hear it. I was actually going to have it through an audible and the, on a different question so we can come back to it with that. Does that sound good? All right, so you want me to come back to this or do you want to come back to the question? We're, once I get to that question, we talk about the question, then we're you can come back to the doomsday as well. All right, all right. Fair game, fair game. Let's do it. Cool, cool, cool. All right, so this is what I want to talk about here. So we have two two more things I want to mention before that. We'll, we'll close the show with talking about the audible question I have. Um, there are, you know, we have our Power 5 championship games uh, all done and dusted. We know who's who, uh, who's going to come against who. You have Oregon, Utah, Baylor, Oklahoma State, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, Iowa, and Pittsburgh versus Wake Forest. Now, my question is, is what is the most surprising championship game matchup to you of those five? Surprising. Oh, man. All right. Georgia, Alabama is without a doubt the least surprising. Start there. Yeah. The Pac-12 is not surprising either, I think. Utah has consistently been the best program in the South. And Oregon, likewise, has been the best program in the North. So I'm not going to call that surprising, even though both teams may have over uh, underwhelmed this season. Oregon in conference play, Utah probably overall. Oregon obviously has that win over Ohio State, you know, 2,000 years ago. That doesn't matter anymore. Uh, let's see here. Big 12 without Oklahoma. Big 10 in, with, without Ohio State. Those are surprises. And the ACC... Let me ask you this. Do you want me to answer this as if I'm looking back from the beginning of the season or just, you know, as the season went along, you know, maybe a change happened? Uh, beginning of the season, because basically we're looking at this because I remember I tweeted all in my 33 4 account. It's the fact of, you know, you have Oklahoma, Ohio State, and uh, Clemson who are all not in these championship games, which kind of was what, you know, breeded this question. No, and, and it's a good point by you of those teams not being in. So I guess on that standpoint, I'm going to say Big Ten, only on the Michigan angle, because here's where I am with that. 
yes, Clemson was supposed to be good. But they were still on the doorstep of making the ACC. They would have, they would have had to back in, but they were still able to get to the ACC championship game. They were still in contention at the end of the year. Oklahoma was as well, as was Ohio State. The one team that I think was just, at the beginning of the season, Michigan was, what, a 6-6, six 7-5 and six, seven and five prediction, especially after what happened last year with the program momentum with Jim Harbaugh, you know, firing his D.C. and taking a massive pay cut. I'm going to go with Michigan being the surprise of the season, being the surprise team in the, national, in the Big Ten Championship. And also, Iowa kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I was looking at them as a Big Ten favorite. Uh, as a Big Ten West favorite, I probably would have leaned, I don't know, gun to my head, looking back at the start of the year, maybe Minnesota. Uh, just feeling like P.J. Fleck could have maybe finally broken through. But I don't know. I, I, I think I'm going to go with the Big Ten only because Michigan was not supposed to be a top 25 team this year. And they're out here being top two. So that I think that's the way I'm going to lean. The ACC championship game, if you want to lean that way, sure. But the ACC was just so bad this year that that conference can't. I, I feel bad for the for the. I feel bad for Kirk Herbstreit because I'm sure he wanted to go there and see it. It's going to be an exciting game. It's just it's it's going to be for a New Year's Six Bowl. But the ACC this year is just not relevant in college football at all. Here's what I'm going to say. Uh, you're absolutely right. The first two uh, Pac-12 and SEC, yeah, they're not surprises at all. I mean, oh wow, dude, Georgia, Bama. No one saw that coming. No, nah, I mean, that's just completely unsurprising, as well as the Pac-12. I mean, I, I am wholeheartedly agreeing with you on both of those. Um, even if you're looking at it at, like, beginning of the year standpoints, because Alabama looks great beginning of the year. Georgia, uh, not great, but they still look solid. I mean, that Clemson-Georgia game was just yuck. Um, and then, obviously, Oregon beating Ohio State at Ohio State, and then Utah being pretty good throughout the year. Um yeah, so then it relieves you down with your three. I'm personally going to say I'm going to take out the Big Ten, and here's why. I don't remember the whole angle at the beginning of the year with Michigan uh, in their going 500 or anything. What I do know is this. Under Harbaugh, for the most part, this Michigan team has been good. Overall, for years, this Michigan team has been one of the best in that side of the Big Ten. Um, was that the Big Ten East, I think? Um, I, I just don't remember conference divisions. And with that in mind, like, I, to me personally, I wouldn't have, you know, blinked an eye if you would have really said that Michigan was going to be one of the top teams in their conference again. Um, I would have been surprised if they won it, but I would have been like, eh, it's, it's Michigan. So they're, 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 they're a big name program. The other one I'm going to eliminate, though, which might surprise you, is the ACC. And it's mostly because Pittsburgh made it in. And Pittsburgh was one of the better teams last year in the ACC, particularly in the Coastal. Um, and they just improved, and they got it in. Um, Wake Forest, I, I don't remember if they were in and around it. You said they were in and around it. But even, even though they got in, that is a huge shock, particularly with Clemson being as dominant as they were, you know, for the past however odd years uh, under Dabo. My surprise championship game is the Big 12. And it's because Oklahoma's out and because Baylor's in. And to talk about those two real quick, first of all, we've talked enough about Oklahoma, but just one quick last reiteration. Uh, team had Spencer Rattler, who was meant to be one of the Heisman favorites for this year, 
Um, they are a pretty traditional name to see in the uh, in college football playoffs. They've been one of the best teams in the Big 12 for years. And on top of that, one statistic to add is though, you know, this is the last, first time they haven't uh, been in the Big 12 championship game since 2009. There's only been like five Big 12 championship games around then, and Oklahoma won every single one. The only reason it, it stopped from 2009 to like 2017. And that was because of all the teams that left the Big 12. And we just went with the like champions and co-champions uh, for a time. Um, even got a little bit educated on uh, on Twitter just because I was younger than I didn't know. So big shout out there. Um, but o- OU has been one of the best teams in the Big 12 for years, name brand, and they're not in the championship game. So that's, that's it on OU. On the other end, Baylor. This is their second year under this head coach. They were looking at yet another rebuild after Matt Rule left him to do a rebuild with Carolina in the pros. And they go in their second year to being in the Big 12 championship game, to being a top 10 team in the nation, to being a team where, you know, their running backs probably going to get drafted this year relatively well. And Bohannon looked solid and their defense was good and their offense was good. That, that is a surprise to me because, you know, on a team that was meant to be rebuilding yet again, you would not have expected them to be anywhere close to this type of scenario within two years. But in two years, a team that was meant to be in rebuild mode is now, again, one of the best teams in the Big 12. And that is all thanks to this current administration there. And no one would have thought it. I didn't think it. I thought Baylor was going to be a mid-team in the Big 12. I feel like we even talked about the on the podcast that I thought Baylor was going to be a mid-team in the Big 12. And I was like, you know what? It's fine because they're in rebuild mode. And don't be surprised if next year or two years from now that they're going to be good. But no, they were good this year. And they're able to make the Big 12 championship. And not only that, they're able to beat Oklahoma, which gave them the tiebreaker to knock the Sooners out of the championship. So, in my opinion, that's why the Big 12 is the big, most surprising because the team that everyone thought was just going to cakewalk in for normal got kicked out. And the team that most people thought it was like, oh, dear, dear, it's okay. You'll, you'll be back to glory soon, immediately back to glory. So, that's why I have the Big 12 championship game personally as the most surprising, but the ACC is not too far off for me. And I, I can see where you're coming from with the Big 10 obviously um yeah and i can't blame you for not necessarily knowing you know yeah. what the fan base's pulse was before the season uh in regards to what michigan season was gonna look like but no no it, it really is genuinely a surprise both michigan and michigan state uh fans are very surprised here you know what i'm gonna pull up uh big 10 media preseason football rank that because i know michigan state was picked to finish last uh, in the East, I want to say Michigan, probably around fourth. I think people were, you know, they, they wanted to see, uh, in, yes, here we go. All right. Ready? Michigan state was picked to finish last in the big 10 East yeah. ahead of, ahead of them would be Rutgers and Maryland. Michigan was picked to finish fourth, Indiana third. Everyone was buying into their success from last year. And then Penn state and Ohio state at the top, Ohio state was a unanimous selection, uh, to win the big 10 East. So obviously Michigan and Michigan state fans are very surprised with the success that both their teams have had. And, and if I remember correctly, Michigan state was like four wins for Vegas. I want to say Michigan was around seven and a half. It was, 
uh, this was a very surprising year uh, for Michigan football, in my opinion. I, I like this idea. I actually wanted to look it up myself for the Big 12 as well. Um, funny line here, with the nation's top quarterback and Spencer Rattler to go with that reborn defense. Found that to be funny. That's, but, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, to give you a quick rundown here, Oklahoma was one with Iowa State two and Oklahoma State three, but Baylor was projected to be eighth in the conference, which was just above Texas Tech, who finished low, and Kansas. And Kansas was projected to go 0-9. I mean... Or, or, no, or no, they'd just gone 0-9. So Baylor was projected to be at, like, the dead bottom of the Big 12. Well, no, and kudos to Baylor football for ponying up and getting Dave, Dave Aranda a contract extension. Yeah. So, that I mean, that's where it is. He It was a surprising year for Baylor, for Baylor football. But, I mean, hey, Matt Rule did it. Quick turnaround. Uh, after taking over a program in shambles, he leaves. Dave Aranda comes in, and they're right back to where they were with Matt Rule, going to a New Year's Six game. Baylor's a Baylor's a like a low key a good job. There, oh, yeah. there is there is something there, and Dave Aranda seems like a guy who wants to stay. I don't think he wants to. I I don't think he would like leave for Oklahoma or for LSU or something like that. I think he wants to be there, and I think Baylor is a place that you could build something. I think. Baylor to me is, and maybe this is just a very popular opinion. Like maybe this is the right way to look at it. It's, it's a better job than Iowa state. And I'm more impressed with what Dave Aranda has done than what Matt Campbell has done. I would be more impressed with Dave Aranda going somewhere than Matt Campbell going somewhere else. That that's, that's how, that's kind of how highly I view Baylor football. Okay. I mean, I, I, I can see it. Yeah. I, I mean, it just seems like I clicked through a couple of articles as well. There are consensus eight, nine, but no, I, I agree. Baylor's tends to be a pretty good job. I mean, even with the coaches that I, I said that picked it up after. Uh, he should win big 12 coach of the year, right? Like th- there's no, there's no question. I would be shocked if he didn't. Like who else is going to win? I don't know. Maybe, maybe Gundy. You know, like, he finally get some of the championship, but it shouldn't be him because where was, where was OK State picked to finish in that poll? Most people projected Oklahoma State to get second. Well, then there you go. Yeah, no, Mike Gundy did. Okay, cool. He stepped up one. Dave Randa stepped up big time. Like that's no, he, he should win a big 12 coach. Too. No, no I problem. mean, Gundy deserves a solid and firm handshake, but like, no, it's, it's, it's around. Yeah. So um, the final question before we get into uh, the last question that I'd had in mind um, is the Heisman list um, and our updated Heisman list is we are going into championship weekend. I oh, have brother. a, I have a, Pure five, which might be a little bit surprising with the names that are in it, but are you ready? All right. Do you want me to go first? Or you're, you seem very excited. Uh, uh, is is yours? Do you think that your list is chalk, or do you think your list isn't chalk? All right. So the Heisman Trophy ceremony is after championship games. Yeah. So here's what I think is going to happen. I'm going to have four. I'm going to have my four finalists. Oh, uh, okay, okay. From what I know, I think, because I, I don't think I can stretch my list to five. I think Heisman voters get three votes per ballot. I think they get a first, a second, a third. So here's where I'm going to go. I'm going to keep with the top three. I'm going to keep with Bryce Young, and I think he's going to win. I think you're going to have Kenneth Walker. And I think you're going to have C.J. Stroud on the offense. Now, 
I do think Aiden Hutchinson ends up getting in. Even if Will Anderson has better stats, no one really cares about this Alabama team. People care about this Michigan team and the media and the eyes on football games. Like, I, I, I don't know if the numbers have come out yet, but more people watch the Michigan-Michigan State game than any college football game this year. But if the numbers come out, I feel like that Ohio State-Michigan game had the most eyes on it. And Aiden Hutchinson was a baller in that game. So he's going to get his votes. And it's Michigan. They're going to do the thing with Aiden Hutchinson, and he's going to be more deserving of it. That, th- think back. Jabril Peppers was a Heisman finalist. Why was Jabril Peppers a Heisman finalist? He shouldn't have been. It's just because he played linebacker a couple of times. They're going to do it with Aiden Hutchinson. They're going to get him in the finals. He might surpass TJ Stroud. He might be top three. I think he makes it as a finalist. I think those are my four names. I think you're looking at Bryce Young to win it. Oh, but it's so weird because he might have a bad performance in the championship. I don't think Ann Hutchinson will win it. I don't think that there's enough media juice there. I'm going to go. Oh, man. Who wins it? Oh, geez. Are you putting me on the spot right now of who wins it? Uh, no. No, no, no. Okay, then I, then, I, then I won't say it yet. All right, uh, no, I'll leave no, the take next week, but those are my four finals. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to say. I, I, I still have five, um, but I, did, I do have separation between one and two and three and four, and then three and four and five. So I'll, I struggle to get a fifth. So here's what I'm going to say. Bryce Young is not on my list at all. He's not on my top five. Oh, wow. Here- uh, it is purely because this Alabama team has been – completely disappointing i don't think that they win the championship game i i would be shocked if they do i think if he wins the championship game that would fling him up but then even if you look at him he's just i don't know it's i feel as if there could have been more and that's my thing with it and also on top of that as you said with these lists uh team record is very important and the team hasn't been good he has been he's been good but like not like immense to me where that's kind of where i struggle with my five so though this might be a very unpopular take i decided my five was desmond Ritter, and that's because oh wow he he might be on one of the only undefeated teams in the country it could be cincinnati and georgia i don't know who else is up there he hasn't been this isn't his best year but he's been good throughout his time of playing college football throughout his four years. Um, he's been decent this year. He's been, you know, he's been able to get the job done. And again, the team's undefeated. So I think with all that combined, that's why Desmond Ritter's my five. But again, I struggled to get my five. So I, I don't think he really has a shot of winning it. He's just a name that I think deserved to be up there. More than Bryce Young, personally. At four, I have Aiden Hutchinson. As you said, the media is hyping him up right now. He just had a Heisman-winning performance against Ohio State. Um, he's been good throughout his time in college football. Um, you know, awesome. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think he deserves to be up there as the only defender I have on my list. Uh, number three, I have Kenny Pickett. Um, he has been – probably the best quarterback in power five football um or, or in in and around that at least at least statistically statistically he's the best i think in power five football however there's a quarterback that i do higher than him who we're going to talk about um it's just my concern and which is why he's at three with a little bit of space is the fact that 
you know, you had Brandon Armstrong and Sam Hartman uh, as well, who were statistically really solid quarterbacks from the ACC, which could just show that the ACC is a weaker conference. But on top of that, Pittsburgh has that loss against Western Michigan, which hurts a lot. Uh, and then they lost to Miami, which is going to hurt a bit. And whether they win or lose the ACC championship game will also hurt. So I like Pickett. I think he's good. He might finish in the top two if they win the championship game and they win it well, but I, I have him at three for now. My two is still Kenneth Walker, the third. He's the player that legitimately changed everything for Michigan State. And I think without Kenneth Walker, you're looking at a team that went, what, nine and two? You, the, you guys are probably going more around 500 without him, and that's my genuine opinion. Um, I just think that Kenneth Walker changed everything about that offense and it made everything a lot more confident. Um, I think he's a high second round pick this year. I think he's one of the, he, and he was by far one of the best players in college football. He was a legitimate game changer and he had a Heisman performance against Michigan, who's a team that if they don't choke, they should be in college football playoffs in, you know, they're able to beat them in what is technically speaking or not technically speaking. It's, it's an in-state rivalry, and it's a really big and deep rivalry. Um, so, Kenneth Walker the third is my number two. And the number one, C.J. Stroud. Um, ever since Oregon, he took over. He's been absolutely explosive. And him alongside Travion Henderson have just absolutely changed the look of this Ohio State offense. And that Ohio State offense, to me, it was the best offense in college football this year. Um, Wilson was incredible. Olave was incredible. Henderson was incredible. And Stroud was incredible. Stroud taking a massive step up. And I mean, he's got to be the clear cut favorite to be the number one overall pick whenever he comes out of college, man, was he good? Like uh, there is not much I could have said that was wrong about his game. And it's just so unfortunate that he, his, he, him and his team came up against such like a strong unit in Michigan in the final game, because they were incredible throughout the whole season. Um, and they really picked it up after that first game, which is why CJ Stroud is still my favorite um, to win it. Even, even when they lost to Michigan, and I think even when they lost to Oregon, I don't think he had bad games there. So he was solid, I'm pretty sure, throughout the whole season. It's just Ohio State, sadly, is not really going to be able to amount to much because they, they aren't making the Big Ten championship. They can't make the CFP. Um, my ESPN app is glitched on my phone, so I'm not really going to be able to see it. I, so yeah, I'm pretty sure he was just consistent throughout the whole year and he led that offense. Um, so I think he's the best football player, at least this year in college football. I'm not going to object to any of your lists. The Kenny Pickett thing does interest me. I'm on an odd site right now and Kenny Pickett is third. He's a pretty distant third. Bryce Young is a solid favorite. So him being off your list. I mean, I get it. If it's your personal list, I understand. Um, I understand where you're coming from there. Uh, I, I do think that the Bryce Young thing just ends up happening. Um, I would, no I matter would what, there's going to be a lot of contention. I think that this might be one of the most contested uh, Heisman winners in a long time. Yeah, honestly, I would be mad if Bryce Young won it. Not saying that he shouldn't even be in the top five. Um, like you know, if if you think he's in the top five or you, you top three, all power to you. But if he wins it over like Stroud or Walker or even Pickett, I would actually be kind of mad about that. I don't think he's done that much to earn it, like comparatively to them. Here's what I'm thinking. Oh, this is this this might be delicious. I'm just looking at past Heisman winners. This could be a year, and this is the. I mean, you go back to Mark Ingram in 2009. This might be a Heisman winner. 
that gets less than 50% of all points possible. <laughs> Mark crazy. Ingram did it with 46.99%. I want to look at Heisman voting that year. But, uh, man, that I, I think that's a real possibility now. I, I agree completely. Like, I, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be highly contested. And I think Bryce Young being up there wouldn't be a surprise. And then I think the three names that I threw out there wouldn't be a surprise. Maybe Aiden Hutchinson replacing Kenny Pickett. But still, like, it's, it's going to be crazy voting. It's going to be tight. All right, well, here, here's the situation that we can have. Because I'm looking at 2009 Heisman voting right now. Yeah. Your top four guys, your four finalists, you're looking at a defensive lineman. You had Ndamukong Sue there. Aiden Hutchinson can eat up a lot of votes. And I think he can get a lot of first place votes, which Ndamukong Sue did get. He got a lot of first place votes, 161. Pretty distant fourth, but he can get enough to start eating up some points. Then you're looking at some other players. I mean, it's, it's between uh, Mark Ingram, who won. Uh, Toby Gerhardt from Stanford was running back. And then Colt McCoy at Texas his last year. We can see a lot of people still hanging on and saying, hey, Kenneth Walker had a really good year get a lot of first place votes there. And then you can just see some people split between, I don't know, Stroud and Young. So I, th- I think the Heisman winner this year gets less than 50%, or at least the least number. Let's see here. What was the, aside from Mark Ingram, you're looking at RG3 getting 60.66% of the vote. You had Desmonte Smith get 66% last year. I think without a doubt, the Heisman winner is lower than Devontae Smith a year ago. Because I think people still had some concern of giving it to a wide receiver after so many years of it being a quarterback award for the most part. I mean, when you look at Derrick Henry, 65%. It's less than 70% when it's a year that, you know, it's not the consensus guy. I, I think without a doubt, this is in the 50s at minimum. Want to know, want to know a crazy thing? You're no, you're no one baby like me, right? Mm-hmm. Our year, the Heisman winner was Eric Crouch. He won and his percentage was 27.75. Okay, hang on, because I'm on Wikipedia, and I, I need to look at how that happened. <laughs> no, 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 here's what's wrong there. That's Reggie Bush's year, right? Oh, really? I think it has wow. to be. Because, hang on. No, what no, Reggie you... Bush is 05, and he got vacated. What is no, no, no. Crouch is all one. Oh my God. That number, hang on. That, that percentage has to be wrong. I am doing that. First, <laughs> this is a 3304 sports first. I am adding up on my calculator and seeing what is going on here. 770 plus 708 plus 638. This is riveting commentary right here. 364. Yeah. 280 plus 267 plus 146 plus 116 plus. 42 plus 41. 770 divided by 3371. Oh, my Lord. How is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. That is ridiculous. <laughs> Dude, You've got... what is the time for us to talk about percentages? <laughs> I want that to happen. I want that to happen so bad this year. Oh my God! Let's go. Forget going under fifty. Let's go under thirty. No, you know what? Here's what I'm gonna do. I've had some pretty good takes here on the pod. I'm gonna agree with you, and I'm gonna say, and I'm gonna be bold with it. I think that whoever wins the Heisman this year, I think it's gonna be at least under thirty-five percent, maybe around thirty-two. 
That's what oh, I don't know if I'm ready to go there thing. yet. I really feel like they want to do it to Bryce Young. I'm going to go less than 50. I don't think I can join I'm, you that far. I'm, I'm putting my stamp on it. That would be delicious. I can't lie. <laughs> I want it to happen. All right. So the last thing, the, the, the question that I did want to bring up was after this coming weekend of college football, um, we have or we'll officially have the college football playoff list secured and finalized all that. My question to you is to pick out, and you'll have your doomsday scenario after this, um, but to pick out your top five teams of college football and, and, and how you would have it is who you think the final four team. Basically, it's not only your top five, but it's also who you think is going to end up in that final four CFP. You're asking me who's going to make the playoff? Yep. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. Now I remember where we're going with this. Okay. So who's making the playoff? I think Georgia beats them. I think Michigan beats Iowa. I think it's Cincinnati wins. And the problem is Oklahoma State and Notre Dame are basically there. If Oklahoma State loses, Notre Dame's in. If Oklahoma State wins, Oklahoma State's in. That's that's how I think I was going to go. Do you have any quick disagreements on me? Um, I mean, no, but basically just locking it in, what you think is going to happen. All right. You know what? I'm going to stick with my four teams. I think Oklahoma State gets it done. I'm going to go Georgia, Michigan, Cincy, Oklahoma State. I am going to go with Georgia, Michigan, Cincy, Oklahoma State. The one thing I will say is that Alabama would – it's just barely out for me. Um, I think even with Notre Dame, they're still going to try to get them in as a two-loss team. I really think that that's going to happen. I, I think they're going to put them over Notre Dame. Um, well – Eh, I don't know if they put them over Notre Dame, but they'll, Alabama would still be like the number six team in the nation if they lose to Georgia. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's really it with the questions. I know you had a doomsday scenario. You said you, you, said you wanted to mention, which was uh, why I left this for the end for you. Yes. Yes, I do. All right. So here we go. Doomsday scenario. This weekend, Georgia beats Alabama. Iowa beats Michigan. Houston beats Cincinnati. Baylor beats Oklahoma State. Now, ESPN's Football Power Index puts that at a 0.974% chance of happening. So it's very rare. But it's not impossible. I'm saying with that, you're looking at Georgia and Notre Dame obviously being in. Because Georgia's 13-0, Notre Dame 11-1. They're in. Who are your last two teams? And that's your doomsday scenario because you're looking at Bama as a two-loss team. You're looking at Michigan as a two-loss team. Are you looking at Iowa as a two-loss team? Are you even still considering Cincinnati, a group of five school, even though they have one loss, even though Notre Dame's in and they beat them? Handle. Are you now considering Houston for some reason? Are you considering Baylor with two losses? What are we doing? There would be so much pandemonium if that happened. Uh... Who are your last two teams if I'm telling you Georgia and Notre Dame have to make it in? Georgia and Notre Dame have to make it in. So basically a Cincinnati lost and Oklahoma State lost and and Michigan. And Michigan. I'm thinking Georgia Notre Dame. I think I think it has to be Baylor. And I think it has to be Alabama. 
All right. Can I get some rationale? No, 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 no. You know what? No, no, no. Alabama, Ohio State. Screw Alabama. Because Alabama. Okay, wait, wait, wait here. The push, there's going to be put now, there's going to be pushback on all of these teams. And it's why I want it to happen because, oh my God, then they would actually, you know what? You know what? If this happened, ESPN would actually have a legit, a logical reason for making the playoff reveal show four freaking hours long. That's, mm, that's my <laughs> biggest pet peeve with them. But, all right, here we go. How can you put Ohio State in? They just got dogged by Michigan. Oh. Right? Yeah. Next lineup. <laughs> what what, what yeah. else you got? Bay- I think Baylor honestly would be. I I, I think I'm I, I'm leaning with you on the Baylor thing. Yeah, I Baylor do think I think the committee would put Alabama in. No question. A two loss Bama team, especially if they played Georgia close but still lost, and everyone else lost ahead of them, they put them comfortably in that third spot against Notre Dame. No doubt. Yeah. Cincinnati's gone. Cincinnati cannot have even cannot have a loss. It does not matter. A group of five team cannot yeah. have a loss. Even if even if Notre Dame makes it in and they're like the two seed, Cincinnati, it does not matter if they beat them. Cincinnati's out. There's no question. I don't think I think that the would I personally want to see them in short. Would the committee put them in? Absolutely not. Oh, um, oh I've got um, you. I've got you, Sophie. It's just it just hurts. This is doomsday, and I hate it. Don't I don't want doomsday you have scenario. No idea. How, you, know I, I, you know what? You I, know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna parlay it. I am parlaying this. It's probably gonna be like it's dare. probably gonna be like plus fifteen thousand. I don't care because don't if it happens, you dare parlay this doomsday scenario. If it happens, though, you know what? You know what? Just just like your friend said, bet it because then it won't happen. Okay, do it. You know what? Bet I love it. it. I mean, I'm fine either way. Uh, I man, I just want Cincinnati to make it. In. I just want to see the world burn. That's what I want to see. No, Cincinnati's helping with the world burn. This is that's why we talked about it and why I locked in week two that a group of five team was going to do it this year. It was going to be Cincy. I want to see what people are thinking about this uh, Cincy uh, Houston game because I mean, Cincinnati has had a good last two weeks, but overall they've. They, you know, they have not been the dominant they've, team. They're, they're, no, they're improving. No, 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 no. They've, they've looked like Cincinnati again. They, they're improving, no doubt. They, they look like Cincinnati oh, again. Oh, no. America is big on the Cougars. 78% of the bets make up 87% of the money. Houston against the spread with a 10 and a half. Let me see what the money line is. Houston at Dude, plus 340. Houston at plus 340 is immense yeah. value, but 98% of the money line bets are on Cincinnati, though. They just don't want Cincinnati in. And you know what? Too bad. Bearcats all the way. Can't wait for the picks on Friday. All right. Well, there you go. There is our doomsday scenario. Praying that it happens because I want blood. All right. For Colbert Bergstrom, I'm Dan Steinbach. Thank you guys so much for listening to the 3304 Sports Podcast. Hopefully, we can have head coach news at some point this week. But, uh, it would be nice. It would be nice. Wouldn't it be something if we stopped recording and then it happened 30 minutes from now? Oh God, that'd be just, that'd be just great. <laughs> that'd be awesome. Oh man. All right. Well, e- either way, whenever, whenever it happens, the next episode that we come out with uh, after that, we'll obviously be talking about it. We'll be breaking it down. We'll probably try to get Carter Hill on there. Um, oh, but with course. that being said, 
thanks you guys for listening to us post thanksgiving break hope you guys have a good uh week back hopefully this was a good way to start your week have a great day and take care Thank you.